Hi, this is Ann Janzer, author of Subscription Marketing, and you are listening to My Quest for the Best. If you've ever wondered about the implications for marketing your business, as so many customers in virtually every industry are becoming indoctrinated into a membership mindset, you've arrived at the right interview. My next guest, Ann Janzer, wrote a leading book on subscription marketing and shares some great insights that can really help you navigate this area successfully. I loved when she spoke about how a subscription marks the beginning of a business relationship and contrasts it with how a sale often marked the end of a business transaction. Many implications to unpack there. Listen in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Ann Janzer. As a writer and marketer based in Mountain View, California, Ann has worked with over 100 technology companies. In 2015, she noticed significant trends taking shape in the software industry and around her. In response, she wrote the book, Subscription Marketing, Strategies for Nurturing Customers in a World of Churn. That book is now in its second edition and has been adopted internationally. She thought it was timely back in 2015. Its topics have become even more so since then. Welcome, Anne. Hey, thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Say, tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Well, you know, obviously, we are all inspired by many influences, but I have to say, my parents set me on this path in a couple ways. Uh, my father was an investment counselor, and he started his own small business when I was a school child, right, when I was young. And he, you know, he would sit and read these statements from companies, and he would look at the businesses around them and talk about them. And it made me realize that, you know, business is something that is part of our world, and we can look and analyze uh, what's happening around us and make some informed decisions. And then my mother um, decided when I was maybe in fifth grade, that there was a need for a regional opera theater in our area. So she started one out of the house, which was a crazy thing. And some of my first real work experience, I'll say, was helping her um, look for donations, get people to subscribe to the uh, season. You know, it came, it got me to realize the importance even then at age 11 or 10 or something of subscribers of people who are really committed to the thing that you are doing so looking back uh, i can see the genesis of some of the things i'm done now uh, doing now in in uh, the examples that my parents set for me i don't know that they thought about that at the time however <laughs> hardly however isn't that interesting to look back what what did you make of the difference at as a young teen or preteen about the difference between customers and subscribers. What, what do you think your understanding of that was? Well, you know, I, I don't know that I was extrapolating out there, but there was a real difference between, for me, what, the people who were just buying a ticket to one show and the people who were subscribing to the series. But also you had the sense that the, the season subscriber was more, was actually more supportive of what you were doing. They were more likely to buy tickets the following season if you, if you delivered good shows this season. They were more likely to donate. They, they just joined a pool of people who were more likely supporters, part of your community. You were almost creating a community of people around, around this endeavor. And so 
it wasn't just the revenue part, although of course the revenue was was a big part of it, but it was also just you know what that meant when somebody showed up and said, no, I'm going to subscribe to your season, even though I haven't seen a show of the season yet or something. That was, or if they had bought a season, a single ticket the season before, and then they became a season subscriber, that's a way of saying, look, okay, so we're providing something that they value and they trust us to continue doing that. That's a, a different, it has a different feeling than just a transaction. You know, that's a, a real important lesson for all the business owners listening, because when customers or even prospects make a different purchase. If you have two different offers and one is a significantly higher offer that requires more of a commitment, that requires more sophistication, and somebody steps up and purchases that offer, they are self-selecting into a different door. As if they're walking into a different door into your business that says, I want to make a bigger commitment and I want to be treated differently as a result of that. Isn't that sort of what's happening when people make a subscription commitment? They're saying, I like this so much, I want more of it. I want to support this and see it continue. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, the fundamental shift that I think we need to make when we think about selling things just one-off versus selling a subscription to something is this, is that a a subscription sale isn't a one-time transaction. It's actually the beginning of a relationship. And so we as businesses need to think about that, not just how can I sell this person X, but how can I create a relationship with this person that will deliver value to them and deliver value to the business? And that's a a really big mindset shift for many people um, who came up in the sales and marketing ranks where we are chasing the net new leads, chasing that new customer, chasing that new customer, but not chasing new relationships. It's a little bit different when you think about it that way. It takes a a longer-term perspective. That is very interesting. When you wrote Subscription Marketing, what was the big question that you wanted to answer with the book? So the big question was this. If all around us, the world is shifting to a different way of buying and, and purchasing, engaging with software and goods, if, if not just in the tech industry, which has clearly made the shift to everything being in the cloud, and so everything's a subscription. But when I looked around, I said, everything around us is starting to make this shift. In every single business model, you can find someone that has some kind of a subscription play on it. So if that is true, what is the implication for us as marketers? Does that change the way that we need to engage with customers? And does that change the expectations with which customers show up to be our customers? And I think the answer is yes. (laughs) So the book is all of my best ideas, casting a wide net to look at what companies and all kinds of businesses do. What are the things that work to keep nurturing that sense of value in the customer's experience? So a year or so before that, 2014, I think is when Adobe first started changing and offering their um, creative suite, not as a CD set, but as an online subscription. And it was not a smooth transition. Um, However, maybe you could give us some perspective on what they did to make it work successfully and how it's turned out for them in terms of a business model decision. So Adobe, you know, it it, it took on, decided to be a trendsetter in this, uh, in terms of offering, taking something that was very successful packaged software 
and changing the business model altogether and offering it only through the cloud, through you subscribe to it. Now, they got a lot of they, they, they started out by offering the subscription alongside the package. So you could buy it this way or you could buy it that way. And that kind of doing things both ways with the same solution is awkward. You know, I, I have the image of somebody with, with one foot in the boat and one foot on the dock. You know, it's just a tough, a tough position to uh, maintain for very long with Grace. So they pretty quickly made the shift and went entirely cloud for that specific software, which was, you know, a big part of their bread and butter was that creative suite. And they, they got a lot of grief from investors at first because what happens when you go from selling a one-time thing to selling a subscription? Your revenues are going to take a dip. You know, if, you, if you're selling the software for, you know, $100 outright or, you know, $5 a month, it's going to take you a while to get that $100 when you're doing it through revenue. Let's, let's back up because it was actually like a, a $600 suite that you make a one-time purchase. Yeah. Or for, I think it was $29 for students or $49 per month for professionals, it would take a right. year to make sure that you got back that one sale. But year two, now you're making pure profit. Yes. And those numbers are so important because here's the thing that's going to kill you with this model, which is churn. If someone, if you spend the time and the money acquiring the subscription customer at 30 bucks or 60 bucks and they don't renew for a year, or if they, they quit after a year, if you have not continued to make them happy, you're losing money on that net new customer, right? <laughs> they have to stay around before you're going to be profitable. Yes. So, so it's a risk. And it's one that Adobe, they just jumped all in on this. They, you know, they said for them, it gave them the ability to continue to add and tweak the software. It, it took off of their table all of the issue of people running different versions right? I mean, from a software perspective, it meant everybody had the latest version all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and they say it actually really alleviated a lot of their piracy problem. Because mm -hmm. you can pirate this, if you, you know, you've got a $600 package thing, and you have one project you need to do, it's going to be more tempting to try to find a, a copy or whatever. But if it's, oh, well, I'll just subscribe for one month, do my problem and go away, you know, and I'll come back the next time I have this issue. You know, now you've got someone who's happy, a loyal customer, maybe not someone who's going to be constantly subscribed, but they're not pirating your software and they're, they're happy. They're happy with you because you let them do what they needed. After dealing with the negative uh, uh, impact from the, the press, I mean, financial people weren't accustomed to this. They don't know how to look at those metrics at first. They're like, your revenues went down. And Adobe said, yes, but we have already booked, you know, we know what our revenue is ahead booked for these people because we have, you know, if we understand what our churn rate is, we know what our revenues are for next year. So we have a solid base. So they actually, over time, shifted all of their software, I think, to this model. And they have been just rocking it. Their most recent uh, September re re revenues, they reported, what was it, $6.4 billion in annualized recurring revenue. I think we could put that one in the win column then. <laughs> that's, on the, that's on the win column. Everybody is, is in the wind cup, but it takes a little bit of patience and persistence and tinkering to figure out. And I think Adobe has tinkered. They, they add things to Creative Suite. They move it around what's in there. They keep redefining it and tinkering with that and the pricing. But in doing so, clearly they have been successful. So. In your book, you, you quote Elizabeth Dunn and Michael Norton, who said that we're happiest when we pay for something up front and then continue to enjoy, enjoy it afterward. 
So if you've paid for an all-inclusive vacation, you're likely to savor every moment and indulge every option. Can you share an example of a company you've worked with maybe or studied where this insight has been applied? I'm going to give you a, a story of a, of a small business. And I only learned about this one after I wrote the first uh, version of the book. And I had a list of subscribers, of course, <laughs> uh, email, email list of subscribers. And when I did the second edition, I said, hey, you know, share with me any stories. My friend, my subscriber, Rollis, who is in the recruiting industry, he owns a small recruiting business for, you know, staffing recruiting in the Houston area. And he's the president and the business development individual in that business. And he said that they decided, they looked at the traditional recruiting model in which they're paid on a contingent fee if somebody finds up, if they find someone to fill a specific role for a business. And then because each business has to pay them each time they fill a spot, you're creating this constant pain of paying. You're creating this constant sense of loss. And they think, oh, well, we hired this person, but we got to pay this company an additional X mm -hmm. for this person. And that often would set up situations in traditional, in this business model where businesses are almost in competition with the companies that they hire to recruit for them if they're outsourcing the recruiting. Because if they can post the listing and find the person before the recruiter does, then they don't have to pay the recruiter fee. It's an awkward situation. So he said, we're going to make the shift and offer our services as a subscription. And, you know, you, you pay us, you sign us up based on your needs, and then as many people as you need to fill, we will fill for you. That it, so it's a monthly or quarterly payment. I forget, they, their pricing has shifted as they've worked out the details. But now, everybody is aligned to the same definition of success, which is filling as many of these positions with the right people as possible. The, the companies, their customers make that commitment to work with them for that period. They pay them the fee and now they're working together. Because now they no longer hesitate. They say, you know, we're seeing the evolution of this growth in this area. We probably need to find someone who has the the experience of managing a customer service area, and maybe someone who's directed one at a larger company that could bring their experience to us. And they just type up the requirements and send it off to the company rather than evaluating whether they can afford um, to do that given the additional fee because it's already prepaid. Right, exactly, exactly. So, you know, he really feels like uh, that now his uh, company can help its customers be more successful. And that's, everybody's aligned to that objective, which is, which is great. You know, there's an example of the business model shift, shifting the relationship with the customer, which is really interesting. And I love it because it's, it's, this was not an Adobe, not a huge company that had a lot of you know, resources to throw behind the shift. Right. This was a small business that had took the courageous position of saying, we're gonna change how we do business with our customers. And this is how we're going to change it. We're going to make it a subscription. And I think, you know, from hearing the story, they, they did have to experiment with quite a bit with pricing and they did have, they do have to explain it to their customers because it is not the norm. So it's a differentiator, which is awesome, but it also, you know, then the burden on them is on them to explain why this is different and, and how it's better. That's right. So everyone who's thinking of adding this as an option, will need to anticipate the need to provide education to their potential prospects and say that when you subscribe, this is how it's going to work and explain it. 
that kind of is a nice transition into the customer journey. Rather than thinking of things yeah. as a funnel where people progress down from a suspect to a prospect to a, a, a potential customer to a paid customer, we, you, know, you want us to be thinking about this more as a customer journey. Can you describe the importance of that and why it may be a better metaphor? Well, the, the funnel, you know, which I've worked in marketing and, and certainly in sales, the, the, the funnel metaphor has been around for a long time. And the problem with the funnel is that is a one-way thing, generally, right? I mean, you, right, you go in the funnel and you go out the bottom, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, it's really interesting because, Bill, the metaphors that we use, even though we just pull on them for one thing, they have a lot of power uh, and they... We may not, the people who influence, you know, said the funnel, well, we don't really mean it's one way. It almost doesn't matter because we picture a funnel and we know how they work and they're one way, right? So the sales and the marketing, as long as we're talking about funnels and thinking about funnels, as soon as someone has gone through that narrow bit, which is the sale, the transaction, the uh, conversion to a customer or a subscriber, they're out of the funnel and they're done. It's no longer our problem. They're in to the beaker or wherever things go after the funnel, right? They're, they're, they're gone. And yet I think if your business is based on a subscription model, then really you're just getting started at the moment that somebody becomes a subscriber. You're not ending, you're only partway through, which is why the model of a journey um, I think is more useful because you know, you join the customer partway through that journey and then you continue on it together uh, as you help the customer with their needs, as you change the experience for the customer and they continue to work with you. So I think it, it doesn't carry that loaded one-way image and I think it helps you realize that your responsibilities continue to help the customer on their journey to whatever it is that they are defining as success. What are some ideas or questions that a company ought to be thinking about when they start to examine the customer journey, or even an example of a company that does this really, really well, that can be studied from the outside? Let me first start by saying that I think what businesses need to do is to uh, look at how they continue to add value to or nurture the customer's experience post, post that point at which they subscribe or become a customer. Because a, uh, a subscription is a vehicle for an ongoing relationship with your customer. So every interaction, every, everything you do with that customer from that point forward is part of their experience. And then I think needs to be looked at through that, that filter of, is this adding value to this customer's experience or not? Is this gonna make them happier? Is it going to be neutral or might it annoy them? So, and I think one of the most fun things to do for this is just to simply Keep your eyes peeled in your own life and pay attention to how you, uh, when you see things. Um, a little while ago, I ordered a CD from CD Baby, which is this site where people uh, might publish music or things on CDs and sell it directly. And they sent, you know, the transactional email saying, we've shipped your CD, right? This is something we get a million times when we order things online. But theirs was delightful. It was you know, we, we created a parade to downtown as we lovingly shipped off your CD. I mean, they wrote this very funny, personal, entertaining announcement that they've shipped my CD. You know, so they took that opportunity to say, we could just say, hey, ship your CD, look for it Tuesday. Or we could say, you know, give you this really fun handcrafted, or I'm sure it was automated, but this fun, delightful email about 
how joyously we packaged and everybody waved goodbye to your CD as it took <laughs> off on its journey. And I bet when you read that, your first thought wasn't, oh, this is machine generated. You thought, oh, this is really funny. You had an enjoyable experience before you then took your analytic hat and put it on and said, oh, you know what? I know how they did this, right? Right. Yes, exactly. But it added to the experience. It made me feel warm and fuzzy about doing business with CD Baby because at least somebody had taken the time to say, you know, let's, let's be fun. Let's, let's spend time crafting a, a fun email that we send every time we ship a CD. We're not going to take... We're not going to take our customers for granted. We're not going to take those transactions for granted. We're not going to say, well, once they became a customer, now it's just the shipping department's thing, and we'll just you know, have Joe generate the automated it ships. Because one of the things that's important is to not rely upon whether Joe feels like he's in a funny and entertaining mood that day. <laughs> right, right, right. So I'm going to guess that somebody in the marketing department who writes very well wrote this email. I mean, I think... You know, part of my, my message of the subscription marketing book is that you need to look at every aspect of your customer relationship with that marketing eye, with, is this adding value? Am I demonstrating helping the customer experience value? And also, am I, you know, the other thing we need to think about is, is trust. Am I doing something to sustain the customer's trust or am I doing something to erode the customer's trust? Um, and here too, you know, I mean, the other day I was calling some banks because We'd had some credit cards stolen, which is never no. a happy experience, right? Never good, never good. So you call and you, you go through the, the voicemail things and you say, you know, I'm calling because lost or stolen card. Okay, well, was it lost or stolen? So I press stolen. And then this one bank, knowing since I just told them I was calling with a stolen card, decided that this was the moment to offer me a cross sell for some financial services for veterans. Oh. So here's a point at which, right, from their perspective, they probably didn't think about it. They're just like, oh, let's make sure on all of our email incoming voicemails, we offer them this thing. But they knew something about me, at least programmatically, they knew that I was, I just experienced a stolen card. Mm -hmm. I was in a state of stress, right? This is not the moment. This is not the moment to cross sell me. So this feels like a little bit of a betrayal of trust. Mm -hmm. I come vulnerable saying someone just stole my credit card and you're saying, can I sell you something? Because I'd really like to do that. And not only that, but you've um, got to stay on the phone. They realize they have you because you've got to complete this transaction to get your cards resent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I eventually got to a person, but this one particular bank, you know, I just thought, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get any more cards from this bank. <laughs> it just did not feel good. It's, uh, one of the other issues that's really important to companies is they, they often will say, and this is from talking with company owners, where they say, you know, we have all this potential, we want our customers to enjoy, but they often don't take advantage of that. And I think the customer journey and thinking that through carefully and thoughtfully is a way to help customers enjoy and maximize and reap the full value of a relationship with a vendor with lots of potential. One of the very first things that you need to do is to make sure that customers find success with your solution, whatever it is, your services, your software, your box of stuff you're sending them, whatever it may be. You know, the first thing on you is to make sure that they're, they are successful with it. And that means, you know, having some kind of a launch plan for your customers that they can do at their pace and their own, you know, at their own pace and in, the, in a way that works best for them. Maybe it's a couple videos, 
maybe it's some emails that drip out over a couple weeks, but there's some data that shows at least with software, but I suspect it's true of everything. If you're not using it within 90 days, if you're not really finding value within 90 days, the chances that you're going to renew are really, really small, right? So if, if you are not finding success, you know, you, the reason <laughs> you need to remember why you signed up for the first thing. So you as a vendor want to make sure that your customer starts finding value while they still have that glow of why they signed up. The best time to reach out and find help people start using things is as early as possible in that relationship. The better companies actually who've been doing this a little bit longer, who have a little bit more savvy, who have dedicated more resources behind this, also take into account something you mentioned in the book about celebrating successes. Can you talk about that and expand on that a little bit? Yes. Yeah. And I love this because this can be done, you know, at nearly any scale. If any of you, you know, for a while I had a Fitbit and it would occasionally send me these little things like, you have now walked the length of India or, you know, across the United States. Right? They looked at the data. <laughs> yeah. Woo-hoo. Not, not all at once, mind you. <laughs> you know, they, they would look at the data and find something that says, oh, look, you know, you are finding value for this because I assume you got the Fitbit because you wanted to be walking and be active and you are being active. And so it was a way for them to celebrate uh, my success with it. You can do this programmatically if you have data, you know, if, if you're using a solution that has that kind of data. You can also do it individually. You know, you can do it when you see that a customer has either, you know, done something where they've, if you're offering software that they've, they've you know, used it a lot. If you're just, let's say you're shipping them something and you ship them the 10th box, it's like, hey, you know, congrats, you must have gotten a lot of use out of these books or you've read this many books or whatever it is you're shipping them. Uh, you can tell I'm subscribed to a, a book subscription thing because that came to my mind. You can do it through a personal email if you see that a customer has had some results. I mean, I got an author publisher, so my consulting house has kind of segued into a consulting slash publishing house now for my books. And one of them won an award, and I got an email from someone at CreateSpace, which is a link of Amazon that, that does uh, paper uh, on print-on-demand books. Sure. Just congratulating me for the award. Just Someone just took a moment to send me an email. In this enormous thing that is Amazon, somebody sent me an email from their team saying, hey, congratulations. Because the book was published on CreateSpace, and it won, you know, so it doesn't have to be complicated to celebrate your customers' successes. And it has to be timely. Yep. And I imagine yep. it has to be personalized to some degree. Yet you're right. Yes. It doesn't take much, but what a difference it makes with an emotional impact. Yeah. And I mean, think businesses are so quick to send out emails announcing their own successes. You know, hey, we got funding or hey, you know, we won this award. But, you know, put a little bit of that energy into celebrating your customers' successes. See what happens. It, again, it changes the nature of your relationship with that customer. And because if you have a subscription, <laughs> you really need people to stay around. You want long-term relationships with mm -hmm. the right people. Mm -hmm. So Anna, are you ready for the, my quest for the best lightning round? Oh my gosh. Can I phone a friend? Yeah, no, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. So tell me, what are some of the key components to your routine for daily success? Every day I will ask myself, what is the most important thing I need to do today? Because if I don't look for those most and make time for it, if I don't, my time will disappear into the most urgent things 
and I'll never get to the most important things, which often are things that take more time. They don't seem quite as urgent. What's the trick you use to make time for it? Do you actually just put it down into your calendar or you, you plan out the day? What do you do? I do. I'm one of those people who find I need to make time in the morning. I try to leave my morning hours free for doing those important things so that if everything else goes up in smoke during the day, I've done my most important thing. <laughs> Because I did it first thing in the morning. What's your favorite way to get unstuck? Do you have a tool or system you use to keep moving forward and staying productive? I use this technique when I'm stuck. If I'm stuck on a creative problem or a problem, um, what I will do is I will intentionally wrestle with it for a while, and then I will go off and do something entirely different, Um, ideally something that doesn't take focused attention. So I'll go to the gym or I'll do something go outdoors or or do an errand so that I can let my uh, subconscious parts of my mind incubate the problem that I'm stuck on. And the other thing that I do if I'm stuck with a productivity issue or uh, motivation is I just shift my perspective and remember why I'm doing the things I'm doing. And I'm doing them specifically to try to help people with specific issues. And when I think about the people I'm doing this for instead of my own stuff, I tend to find motivation and find inspiration and move forward renewed. What would you say is the most important habit or routine or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I have stopped focusing on what other people define as success and focus on what my reasons for doing things and my own definitions for success. Uh, because if you, if you listen to the world at large, you never have a point of enough. You, you are always, you are always, you know, need to grow your business bigger, or you always need to sell more books, or you always need to get more money. But if you really fundamentally question what your purposes are for doing something and live to those, find both greater happiness and peace and purpose. So another key concept from your book is that of super users. How do you define a super user? How do you find one? And why does it matter in a subscription business model? So a super user is that person who finds so much value in your business that they share the word of it. It's important to them to share with others. And essentially, they almost become the people who do your marketing for you, which is really awesome. <laughs> they are the people who get the most value or the most uh, most value out of your relationship with them. It may not even be out of your products and service. They may just so much love doing business with you that they recommend you to other people. They are motivated to act on your behalf in a way that benefits your business. Clearly, you want to find them because they help your business grow. Also, they are a hint. They are a clue as to the kinds of people that you should be targeting. It's not important to get more customers all the time. It's important to get more of the customers who are going to be loyal and stick around. I would rather have a small number of highly engaged subscribers than a large number of people who never open my emails, for example. Uh, So your super users can teach you things about your customers and the most loyal customers and what resonates with them and what they find value in And if you're really lucky, your super users will also tell you, be generous enough to tell you about the things that you're doing that don't work, that they, that bothered them without them actually bailing. They're going to help you get better instead of uh, just leaving a 
a bad review and moving on. And as you work with a lot of these technology companies and others that are looking to implement a subscription marketing model and improve their marketing to communicate more effectively, what would you say is one of the biggest misconceptions that the executives and entrepreneurs you work with are carrying around and how can we correct that now? Well, you know, I think that the, the biggest misconception, and it's not, it's not even a misconception, I'm just going to say it's more wired into us. Right? As we chase growth, we chase bigger numbers. We, we want more sales. We want more leads. We want you know, more net new leads. And for years and years, I could only get people to hire me to do lead generation content and thought leadership content and top of the funnel content, right? And the, the mindset shift you have to make is that it, it's not about more leads. It's about better leads. It's about connecting more deeply with the right people so that they become long-term customers and even a few of them super users because that is the growth engine for your business. It's not sheer quantity of numbers. It's connecting with the right people in a meaningful way. And to do that, you have to look at their experience and what they value uh, rather than what you're trying to sell them. So it takes this mindset shift to be in the head of your customer as much as you possibly can and look at how to serve them. Well, and you have shared so many great ideas with me on my quest for the best. I just want to thank you for sharing the how your father and mother got you started thinking about being able to look at things and question them um, in, with informed analysis and with your mom's start at the opera company, thinking about the difference <laughs> between one ticket sale versus a series ticket purchaser. We talked about how a subscription is the beginning of a relationship and what a profound impact that has when you really embed that throughout your culture. We talked about the Adobe example. We talked about the HR company in, in Houston who's turned to a subscription model and has made a success so long as they're relying more on educating their, their customers and building that relationship with them. Uh, we talked about how it's important when you have people subscribing to models that they're engaged with it and they're using it so that they maintain that relationship and continue to derive value from it. And you shared some of your great tips and insights to stay motivated, to get unstuck, and also clearly you're someone who values quality over quantity. I think your tips are going to help people develop more quantity of quality relationships. Thanks, Bill. Do you have any parting words you'd like to share? And then we'll find out how to keep up with you online and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. So I would, for parting words, I would remind you that as the world around us is shifting to a subscription model, that even if your business isn't yet selling things via subscription, that this shift is affecting the way that your customers think about and interact with businesses. And that includes yours. And you don't have to have to start selling everything via subscription, but you might want to find some way to implement a subscription, content subscription, something related to your business, because that subscription is actually a vehicle for an ongoing relationship with your customer. And we all need good ongoing relationships with our customers. Fabulous. And where can people find out more about you and your work? Everything I do generally shows up one way or another on my website, which is my name and Janzer. Dot com and with a silent e janzer.com and there you can find my books i have a couple online courses and my blogs and janzer author of subscription marketing strategies for nurturing customers in a world of churn 
thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's been fun. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.